unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
welcome everyone to our service here this morning. Thank you for being here, being part of our service. We have a good good crowd this morning. We want to begin our time together as we come together to worship the Lord in prayer. If you would, bow with me. Our Holy Father, thank you for all of the many blessings of of this life that you give to us every day. Father, thank you for keeping us safe through the storms of last night. We pray that you will be with us as we assemble this morning to worship you, that all will be done in accordance with your will. Be with us and help us to always do what's right in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see so many people out there. I have had a few uh, people, a few different people request some different songs this morning, so there may be a few newer ones uh, just to give y'all a heads up. So the first song, I don't know if y'all remember Miss Jimmy shared this on our church page a few months ago. She was raving about it, but we're going to sing Fill My Cup, Lord, this morning. Like the woman at the well I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard the Savior speaking, draw from my well that never shall run dry.
for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together, Lord, to lift up voices, to give you honor and praise, to be able to take time from our lives to place you on the highest place, to, for you to know that we come together to honor you. Lord God, I'm so thankful for each and every one that is here. We're thankful for the decline in the virus in the area that we are able to gather. We're thankful for the vaccines that allow so many to come back together and for us to come together as one, Father, to lift up our voices. And Father God, we pray for those that are still suffering from the virus, those that are still unable to be with us, Lord, that may be joining us remotely. Father, we lift them up. Father God, we're thankful for the avenues that we have to be together even though we may be apart. Father God, we are mindful of those that are still sick. Father, we lift up to you John Roten and so many others that are in need of your, of your comfort. 
of your care. We're mindful of those that have lost loved ones recently, and we pray for your comfort on them. Father God, we want to take this opportunity to thank you for Brother Ken as he opens up the word of life to us, Father, that he shares your word with us today. Give him a a knowledge of what he's studied and what he's prepared. Give us open hearts to accept those things. Father God, we th- we're thankful for our leadership here at Boonville. We pray for them as they continue to open up our activities, as they continue to guide us and lead us. Father God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the love that he had for us, the love he had for you to die upon that cross for us, for our forgiveness of sins. Lord God, we ask that everything we do in life be for his glory and for yours. Be with us throughout this worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Invitation song this morning will be Hark the Gentle Voice. Uh, Before the lesson, the song will be Our God, He is Alive. If you would like to stand and sing at this time, you are welcome to do so.
I'll be reading this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. These things we also speak, not in words which man wisdom teaches, but that the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness in him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Good morning, everybody. Man, wasn't that great to sing like that? Boy, I just want that to go on and on. Here's the thing. Here's the deal I will make with you. If you'll go to heaven with me, we will do that all, literally all the time. Won't that be great? Isn't that exciting just to think about? And then I'll be out of a job. But in my retirement, listen, my eternal retirement, I get to sing with you, and won't that just be splendid? Thank you for joining in our singing this morning and for your participation in our worship. We count this time as worship as well, where we will be studying a portion of God's Word. And today we are going to be challenged. We will find that the Bible is a very unique book. Before we start that, though, I have a couple of prayer requests that I want to share with you. We're going to pray for them, and we will also pray God's blessing on our time of worship in meditation on His Word. The first is with John Roten. He had a bad reaction to the vaccine, both he and his wife. It put him in the hospital. I understand this morning that he is some better, but as yet is unable to walk. So please remember John in your prayers. And also David Nowell. He is an elder at the Strickland Church of Christ. He is also Emily Kendrick's brother. He's been diagnosed with two masses in his brain. He's going to be undergoing further tests on Tuesday. And as you can imagine, especially with the uncertainty about exactly what's happening with him, they have requested our prayers. Now, Emily is a member of our church here. So she's a part of our body. And you know what we do when one member suffers? We all suffer with it, don't we? So we will be with Emily and the Rotans as they're going through these difficult times, and we will be a support to them. But I don't know of any better thing we can do than to pray. So let's pray for their blessing and for God's blessing on us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you your children, uh, begging your attention. We, Father, have our own will about things. We submit ourselves to you, but we come in prayer because we want you to know how we feel about it. And Lord, we're praying that uh, with the Rotans that this difficulty that they're experiencing right now, this sickness as a response to their vaccine, I pray, Lord, that that will be short-lived and that they will feel well again. I pray, Lord, that 
you would also be with David Nowell as he has a lot of uncertainty in his life and is facing some symptoms from those masses that have been discovered. Father, our will is that he'll be well and that whatever exactly the problem is, it can be treated and that his health will be restored to him. But of course, Father, we, we want that because it, it bears on us. That's, that's Emily's brother, whom she loves so much, and she's a part of us. So we just surround her and lift her up and David up, and we're asking you, Father, that you will grant this request of ours. But of course, in all things, uh, we're submissive to your will, and we know that no matter what happens, that your will is the best, and we're confident that as your plan unfolds, that we'll all be better for it. And I just pray you'll help us all to suffer together in our trials and help lift burdens. There are others in the audience now uh, thinking of circumstances that they face or friends they have that are also in dire straits, and I'm praying your blessing in those regards too. Lord, I pray that today you will help us truly to appreciate the uniqueness of the Bible. And that uniqueness will become very apparent to us as we study today. So help us to bear it and to benefit from it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about how unique the Bible is. I I will say this that if we did not know that the Bible was the Word of God, if we did not know that it is inspired, that it is infallible, then we wouldn't really understand exactly why it is that this book in particular is just so powerful as it is. Now, you already know that the Bible speaks of itself in those terms, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God takes no prisoners with regard to those who will approach it and read it. And what I mean by that is, all throughout the history that is recorded in this book, The Bible is about as tactless as any book you will ever read. Its heroes that are described in the book are not treated with any kind of favoritism whatsoever. And not only is it tactless in that regard, it gives no apologies for the things that it exposes. It just simply tells it like it is. The Bible describes man's dive into debauchery and sin, his life of wickedness from the very beginning. And the influence of the things that are described there and the impact that is found leads us to one conclusion that we will discover a little bit later. 
there have been many through history who read of the absolute condemnation of the human race that is held within the pages of the Bible and they wanted to take that Bible, dig a hole in the ground and throw it there and never let it resurrect from the ground. Just get rid of it. I don't want to hear what God has to say. I don't care what He thinks about man's choices. But despite all of those efforts, the Bible remains. And to me it is a testament not just to a good book, which honestly is very often difficult to read, but it is a testament, it is a proof to the fact that yes, it is indeed the Word of God, inspired, infallible. Today I want us to think about just how unique the Bible is in regard to these kinds of things. So let's start by looking at the unique details of the Old Testament Scriptures. Okay, so when I pick up the Bible and I open it, first thing that I'm hit with is the creation. And isn't that amazing? For at least two chapters anyway, I'm reading through that and I see that when God speaks words, things come into existence. It's the most amazing thing. In the first chapter, we have a day-to-day log of everything that de- God did on those days. And then in chapter 2, it's kind of a review of the creation of man. And it is almost like God goes minute by minute in that description. It is absolutely amazing. And we just relish the description of God's power and of His walking with His creation in the cool of the day and how God gives His created man dominion over all that has been created. It's just an amazing story. But things deteriorate from there. And I don't know how long Adam and Eve were in that garden, but I do know that they only had one commandment from the Lord, and that was that they were not to eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that they eat of that fruit, they would surely die. It's not like what we have. We read through the Old Testament Scriptures. There are hundreds and hundreds of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. We come to the New Testament Scriptures and we kind of hang our hat on Jesus' teaching that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And we say, yeah, we've got it easier now. We don't really have two things to do. But the fact is that that disposition of mind and heart leads us to do a lot of things that people struggled with under the old law. Absolutely, because we love God and we love our fellow man, we are going to do what is right and never choose to do what is wrong. But there it is, Adam and Eve, they chose to do the one thing that God said don't do. And it came with terrible consequences. First of all, the most apparent thing was death. Now they did not physically immediately die, but death was issued into all living beings at the time. Ultimately, at that moment, they did not realize it, but they would be separated from the tree of life. 
And that separation would result in the decline of their health. Ultimately, they truly would die physically, but that wasn't the real thing. The real thing was spiritual death. And in that moment, God also taught some tremendous lessons. Because to the woman, He spoke of things to come. He spoke of the fact that Satan's heel would be crushed. Uh, His head would be crushed. Uh, The woman's heel uh, would be bruised. He spoke of the seed and the enmity that would exist between the woman's seed and the devil's seed. We find out about atonement too. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, are escorted out of that garden. But death occurs almost immediately in the lives of some animals whose blood is shed. And they are literally covered by that fleece, by those skins, thus foreshadowing the ultimate atonement that would come in Jesus. But oh, not, not yet. Uh, not hope for this generation because these two people became a family. They had children now in the difficulty of the life that they were experiencing outside of the garden. And they were blessed with two sons, Cain and Abel. But what we would later discover is that following that initial sin of Adam and Eve, now was born the firstborn child to those two, having come from the very breath of God, was a murderer. Again, scraping the depravity of man's mind because of anger against his brother, he rose up and slew Abel. And Abel's blood, even yet in a figure, cries out to us from the ground. It speaks to us of faithfulness and righteousness. But that track of unrighteousness and the Bible's condemnation of sin is begun right there. It isn't but just a few verses later that we're introduced to a man by the name of Lamech. And Lamech begins to be proud among others. He marries more women than the one allotted to him. He becomes a bigamist. And then he begins to taunt others that he is not just a murderer like Cain had been, but that he had committed multiple murders. And that as regards God, God had looked at Cain and he was going to Stick it to Cain sevenfold. But Lamech says, whoa, wait a minute. For me, it's 77. As though he had reached the heights of his greatness, but in reality had fallen as far as a man could fall in his pride over sin. And it was also within that same period of time that God just describes basically the annihilation of all hope for mankind in that the sons of God were marrying the daughters of men. And as a result, sin and depravity abounded, except that God found one righteous man. Oh, God had determined He was going to destroy this earth, but now He has found one righteous man, a man by the name of Noah. 
It's amazing to me that in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, when God looked at the wickedness of man as it had permeated the earth, it says that, that the intent of man's heart was only evil continually. It is like man could think of nothing else but the commission of sin. And so here's Noah. And he is a preacher of righteousness. And in his preaching, he wins his wife and his three sons and their wives. They are shut up in the ark and God sends the deluge over the entire earth, destroys all living creatures, save those who did not perish safely inside that ark. Oh, I'm thinking, man, finally this negative story is over. We've got a righteous man and a righteous family. When they come out of that ark and they set foot on dry ground, Noah is not only the patriarch over his immediate family. Think about it. He is the righteous patriarch over the entire earth. But it's that Noah that we have so much hope invested in that plants a vineyard (laughs) and subsequently gets drunk. What in the world? History continues to march on. Eventually, we have hope again. We see men getting together and fellowshipping and thinking great things. Perhaps the technology of the time far surpassed what we imagine of the ancient world. They got together and they built this amazing tower, the Tower of Babel. And it was, it was something for all to see because it, it set a standard of man's independence from God. God's not going to do this to us again. We'll build a great tower. We'll preserve ourselves. But God was insulted with that insolence and He divided them again by their language. Finally, there comes a man by the name of Abraham. I love Abraham because I'm thinking, yeah, finally, we're going to get off this negative path and things are going to turn toward God. And they do. We call Abraham the father of the faithful. He is the friend of God. He is the man who receives the seed promise that in his seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Galatians chapter 3 ties that promise to Abraham with Jesus Christ who himself is the embodiment of not just a seed or many generations of seed, but of the one seed who is Christ. Man, Abraham is the guy. Uh, Well, except for the fact that even though he is that great man of faith and he is the guy who's the friend of God, he's also the guy who demonstrated a lack of faith. God says, you're going to have a son. He doesn't take God literally. He's like, you know, I'm too old. Sarah's too old. We we can't have children. So maybe he's talking about me fathering a child with my wife's handmaid. And the descendants that came from that union through Ishmael still plague the earth today. Abraham, as good as he was, he had his faults too. He committed his sins, lied twice about his, well, literally a half-sister being his own wife. She's not my wife, she's my sister. Believe me, believe me. Twice that lie flew up in his face. 
Abraham had a lot of trials to demonstrate faithfulness to God. But he had that son, Isaac. And Isaac was a testament to righteousness to God. And he has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And the... Ooh, wait a minute. Here we go again. We've got twins who find themselves on a path of unrighteousness. And Jacob was well-named the supplanter, the trickster, the liar. Jacob, believe it or not, has his name changed to Israel and becomes becomes the lead patriarch over all the tribes of Israel. We're thinking maybe God can just take this and sweep some of that sin under the rug. But here are those boys, and they are conspiring now to murder their own brother Joseph. But God preserves Joseph. And they're shamed in their sin. And they do. <laughs> they, they do become the heads of the tribes of Israel. Ultimately, out of that configuration in the work and the slow plan of the unfolding of God's purposes comes a man by the name of Moses. Now, there's a stalwart in the faith. This is the guy who is going to give, quote-unquote, the law of Moses. The Ten Commandments? Wow! This is the guy that God talks to -to face-to-face, in effect. He presents Moses with tablets that have inscribed on them with the finger of God the Ten Commandments. He is the law deliverer. And with that mouth, not only does he proclaim the truths of God, but all of those superfluous laws that were attached to those Ten Commandments and all of the expectations that God had for them, Moses spoke into existence and wrote them in the five books of law. And then Moses with his mouth also defiled himself, took authority that was not his own. And because of one misstep in his life, listen to me, one, not a catalog of sins. Moses, you know, you've done all these things. I can't let you go into the... One thing, Moses, you've sinned with your mouth. You will not enter the promised land. Moses? Out of Moses came troubled times. But there was Joshua who had walked in his footsteps. And Joshua was an able leader until he passed. And there was a generation that rose up who did not know God, nor the things that God had done for Israel. And so there grew up a people who did what was was right in their own eyes. They lived during the period of what's called the Judges. And in that period, depending on how you count it, there are upwards of 15 different scenarios in which the people, they're faithful to God for a time, and then they begin to think more highly of themselves than they ought to, and they fall into sin and degradation. God punishes them, usually with a foreign nation. They are subjugated. They, they feel the pressure and the hurt and the want, and they cry out to God, God, deliver us! And God will send a righteous deliverer to bring them back. And oh, they'll come back for a time. And then that same cycle, at least 15 times, over and over and over again, faithful and unfaithful, and God punishing them. Why? Because of their unrighteousness, condemning them in every step that they take 
away from the Word of God. And then there was this period of time when it's just the frustration of all this up and down, our punishment, our, our restoration. Look, we need to be like the nations around us. How about we have a king? And so what was the standard that they used in order to find their king? He was taller than everybody else. Saul. He was a... He was a huge disappointment. He fell because of his own wantonness and sin. Oh, but God raised the most famous king ever, David. Da David is the king by which all other kings who followed him would be measured. David is that righteous. He is the psalmist of Israel. Man, I love David. Well, you know, except for the fact that he is an adulterer and a murderer. And then there was Solomon. There's your hope for Israel. We got the guy. Because he has now all the wisdom of the ages. He is wiser than anybody who ever lived before him and wiser than anybody who would ever come back, except that he married too many women, too many concubines, and they led his heart away from God, to serve foreign gods, idol gods. His son Rehoboam, he, he's the hope for Israel. Except that guy, by his foolishness, ends up dividing the entire nation. The nation of Israel uh, basically is lost to history. But the nation of Judah, oh, they're okay. Except that they sin too and they're carried away into Babylonian captivity. And in their captivity, they lose their identity. And only a small remnant of that group ever return to the place that God had promised them. Oh, those are unique details in the Old Testament, don't you think? All about the condemnation of the human race. Does it get better, Ken? Tell me some unique details of the New Testament. Ken, I love reading the New Testament. That just builds me up. I'm a child of God. I read those scriptures. It just, oh, it just makes me feel so good. I'm going to be a faithful child of God. I'm going to be like Jesus. Great. What about Jesus? He have any enemies? You know who wasn't his enemy? The common ignorant man was not his enemy. Jesus' enemies were chief priests and the rulers of the people. <laughs> in John chapter 1, I see so much hope initially. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Ooh. So, so here's Jesus, Son of God, fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. He comes into a world filled with darkness. Did He come at the wrong time? Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says that He came at the appointed time, the right time, born under the law, born of a woman. There's Jesus. He's come right. But He is in the midst of darkness. An incredible light from heaven now shines in a world filled with darkness. And it's the ignorant and the common people who respond to Him. And those who are supposed to be educated 
the, the elites, the intellectual elites of Israel, they hate Jesus. They are his enemy. They want to crucify him. Did he have any friends? Jesus had friends. I think of his motley crew of disciples. And oh, at the top of that list is that Peter. Man, that Peter's always speaking up for Jesus. Well, except when it mattered. Yeah, Peter's that one that denied the Lord three times. And all the other disciples, if you're wondering, they forsook Jesus. The Jews and the Gentiles, they conspired to crucify Jesus. Has there ever been such evil in the world? Has there ever been such a travesty of justice? Has there ever been, in response to that evil and that travesty of justice, so much love as was manifested in Jesus? I don't think so. You say, well, I'm reading through the New Testament, all kinds of things there I read. Boy, there's for my edification. That's true. But think about the scenarios that exist in the letters of the New Testament scriptures. The very people who said, I commit to Jesus. I'm going to follow him day by day. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to give him everything. What did their lives look like? Well, in the book of Romans, chapter 3, it's just a, it is a total condemnation of both Jew and Gentile. In verses 9 and 10, he says, here's the commentary we have about Jews and Greeks. They are all under sin. Verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Eh, don't look good. You get over to, let's say, let's be real. Let's look at a church church, right? A group of people, not just a region. Of course there's going to be stuff like that. Well, when you get to a church church, like the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians is just a book that deals with doctrinal and moral problems. Who are these people? A bunch of heathens? No, they're Christians. They're the church of God that meets at Corinth. What in the world? In the book of Galatians, the issue is Judaizing teachers who are trying to subvert Christianity. In the book of Ephesians, okay, peace, I get it. You start reading, it's all about the wondrous truth, and that does build you up, makes you feel great, until here we're kind of, we're kind of tracking along, feeling good about ourselves, and he says, oh, and by the way, you better stop lying and stop stealing. And also, you treat people right. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Wait, blow my mind. You have to remind Christians that Christ forgave them? Well, yeah, because some of them weren't living right. What? How do you hear about the truth and then reject it at the same time? Worldliness. In the book of Philippians, Paul's in prison, but he's remarking how great it is that the gospel is being preached. Oh, but <laughs> there are some out there who are preaching it out of envy and strife. They only think of themselves. Selfish. Selfish. The book of Colossians is kind of a, the flip side of Ephesians. They work in tandem together. Right there, same kind of thing in Colossians. You got him warning against 
all kinds of uncleanness and covetousness. What's going on? So negative. I get to the book of Revelation. Let's just skip there, right? Because I hear people say this all the time. Ken, don't worry about today because I've read the last book. We have the victory. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that or find it written somewhere. We have the victory. I've read the last book. Okay, but did you read in that book about how those quote-unquote victorious churches were doing at the time? They were having to be urged to be faithful so that they could have this victory, so that they could overcome the persecution because in fat, easy times, we, we just kind of warm a pew. But when the persecution comes, that tells who is who. And in this scenario in the first century, it was hurting the church in a big way. Almost every church, with the exception of possibly two, but definitely one, almost all those churches had severe issues that were going to ruin the church if they didn't get on the right track. Case in point, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. This is the church at Laodicea. Here's what they think of themselves. We are rich. We are wealthy. We have need of nothing. The Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How does a church misjudge itself that much? Didn't we know we were these things? No, no, because you thought you were all about it. In reality, you are not. You're trusting in your own self and not in the things of God. And that is a major fault. Major fault, King, can you describe a major fault for you? Well, I can't give you every scenario in which God felt that way, but in this particular scenario, I'll tell you exactly how he felt. He said, I wish you were either cold or hot. Meaning, either you own it or you're not on it. But you're in the middle, you're lukewarm. He said, because you are neither cold nor hot, listen now, I will spew you. I'll translate that word for you. It's vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. You say, Ken, don't use words like that. I just, ooh, that makes me sick. Okay. Success. That's how God feels about it. You make me want to throw up, God says. Okay, so there's your victory book. I'm thinking that the unique details of Scripture are not the ones that I just outlined. We tend to make heroes in the Scriptures, don't we? We say, Abraham, yay, he's my guy. Moses, yay. David, yay. Peter, yay. They're men. They all made mistakes. If they'd have been in the Garden of Eden on that first day and they committed any one of those sins, boom, they're out. You see that? You sin, you die. That's God's economy. So, I'm going from Genesis to Revelation, and I realize it's not about the heroes of the Bible. It's about the God of the Bible. It's man's condemnation because he refuses to submit himself to God's will. And that story of God's continuing attempt to redeem man is made real when Jesus comes as light in the midst of darkness that we saw a few moments ago. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, John said in John 1 verse 29, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's Him! In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Stop right there. The penalty for sin is death. You sin, you die. Eternal death. This text says Jesus died so you wouldn't have to die. There's an interesting concept that develops out of that. Jesus said it in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. I, I, I think about that in this context. And here's what I realize. God's been telling us the truth. He described that truth from the very beginning all the way to an anticipated ending of victory. And he describes how, here's the truth. You can't save yourself. The truth is, you can't save yourself, but I can save you through my son. So you know that? You shall know the truth. That's the truth. That truth will make you free. You want to be free? Free of sin? Free of eternal death? Then know the pertinent story, not just the heroes. Know that the heroes had fault and needed God, and that without God they were nothing. And know that without Jesus, you can't have your sins washed away. To me, it's that story that makes the Bible so unique. If you're a child of God, you've experienced it already. And you can rejoice in your salvation. And be thankful to Jesus every day that he died for you. He counted you worthy of such sacrifice. If you're not a child of God today, think of Moses, even one transgression. Think of Adam and Eve, even one transgression, just one sin can keep you out of eternal life. Wait a minute, kid. You know, I'm not a bad person. I do good things. In fact, I know X or Y, brother or sister in that boomful church. I'll just tell you, and I'm not bragging, but I don't act like they do. I, I've seen them do terrible things. I've seen them be mean to their neighbors and say bad stuff on Facebook. And I'm not like that. I'm a good person. God loves me. God loves you. But do you ever sin? Say, well, maybe once. Well, then the only thing that will pay for that sin, transgression of God, is the blood of Jesus. And the only way you contact the blood of Jesus in a, is in obedience to the gospel. And let me be specific. Obeying the gospel requires baptism, immersion in water. You're immersed in that water, Romans 6, 3, and 4. The old man of sin dies, that one that's condemned to death, and you rise in newness of life. You're free! Wait, isn't that what Jesus said? You should know the truth. And that truth will make you free. So anybody who needs... Freedom today. Now is your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing.
To prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper this morning, we'll be singing Highly Exalted. chapter 19. I've been 
I've sat here, I've wrote a few things, and uh, quite frankly, I, we give God the glory for everything that we do this morning. And uh, you have done that so wonderfully through song and through prayer and through the meditation on God's word. And, and now we're just moving into another way that we can glorify him and another way to worship him. And so I'd like to read to you John chapter 19 as we prepare for this this next moment of worship. And I want to start in want to start in verse 28. He says after this Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of our sour wine of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. I read these scriptures to call your attention to verse 35, and I would like to read it one more time. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. As we move into this next part of our worship and our glorification of God, we know that this is true. We know that this is, he's telling the truth. And that's why on the first day of the week, one of the reasons we come together is so we can proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So we're going to do that now. Um, we're going to, if you don't mind, if you, does everybody have their emblems? I walked up here without mine, so you'll get mine. If you don't mind, prepare the, we'll get the bread ready, which represents God's uh, Christ's body that was shed upon the, the cross. And bow with me as we thank God for that sacrifice and that body. Dear Heavenly Father, we, of course, thank you for so many things. But at this very moment, we thank you for the sacrifice Jesus made for each and every one of us. And we, we thank you for this bread that we're about to partake of that represents Christ's body. Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity and Help us clear our minds as we, we reflect on the cross and help us partake of this in a well-pleasing manner. It's in Christ's name. Amen.
Now let's prepare to partake of the fruit of the vine that represents Christ's blood. Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, in a like manner, we now want to reflect on the blood that was shed upon that cross. We want to thank you so much for it and the purpose of it. And Father, as we now partake of this this fruit of the vine that represents that blood, of course, we pray that we'll reflect and that we'll remember that sacrifice and give, up, give you all the glory and appreciation for it. And it's in Christ's name. Amen. Another thing we do is to make sure that we, we thank God for as we move into another part of our worship this morning. Of course, we want to thank God for the many blessings that he gives us. And we give back to him, and, and you have many ways that you do so. And, and, of course, I know you'll take advantage of those many opportunities and ways to do so. Uh, but you may have already done it, and you may do it in a minute. But no matter, we want to thank God for the many blessings he's provided us. So. Bow your heads, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we now want to thank you for the many blessings that you provide. We thank you for the physical blessings that you give us. We know that they're yours. We know that, uh, Father, you just loan these things to us. And, of course, we want to give back to you what, what is rightfully yours. And We want to do it with the right heart and the right spirit and the right attitude. And, and so, Father, help us as we do so. And then, Father, of course, we want to pray for the leadership here as we direct those funds to, to, to further your kingdom and to, to do things that will give you the glory. Father, we, we pray for those that make those decisions. And, of course, we just pray that all of, all of it will be to the furtherance of your kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for, for blessing us, and we thank you for allowing us to give back to you. And it's in Christ's name. Amen. As Jerry makes his way up here, um, I do want to encourage everyone. I'm going to go ahead, Jerry, if you don't mind, and talk about last leaders. Um, and then guys coming, too. But I'll do mine quick. Uh, please come back tonight. Please come back tonight. You saw in your bulletin that we have young men and young ladies who are who have worked hard. to. They have a message. They have a song they want to give you. Look. Last year, it's been so hard. This year, it's been so hard to do these things, and yet, yet we have young men and women who've tried to work around all the different things that's kind of gotten in the way, and they've prepared speeches, they've prepared songs, and, and they want to share it with you tonight. So I'm urging you to come back tonight. Please, please not only come back to support them, but come back with an open mind and open heart to listen to the messages and the songs that they have. And then secondly, for everybody going to LADS, we'll have our meetings after service tonight. So be prepared to stay for a little bit as we, we give you some information so we can be prepared to go next week. And everybody pray for us and pray for LADS, the leaders. Thank you. Isn't it a great day? It is. Uh, 
wonderful to be here today. I'm going to be brief. I want to tell you the number that is here today, but I'm not because Jerry's real excited about it, and he's a Reds fan. He didn't get a lot of excitement. There are so many people here today. It takes the Reds five years to win as many games as there are people here today. But I want to talk to you about is the Easter egg hunt. It's happening. And mamas, it is muddy. But the sun is shining and the grass is green. We're going outside. It's just too beautiful not to. So I know you mamas are thinking I've got my little baby in those white stockings and her pretty shoes. She won't be able to wear them next year. <laughs> Let that baby have fun. We have over a thousand eggs out there. Thank you all so much for all of you that donated. We have extras. Thank you, Andrew Langley, Tom Wade, Max Mooney. They've got the lawn covered. And right after Jerry's done with his announcements and prayer, we want everyone participating in the egg hunt, move down to the front, and we'll give you instructions on how we're gonna do it uh, after we close with prayer. But everyone participating, please come to the front after announcements. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, there's 285 people here. Uh, I don't have an exact number for earlier, about 80, so that would bring it to 365. That's a great number. For those that are visiting uh, that don't live here, I guess you'll just have to move here. <laughs> but uh, there's actually people looking for seats. That's a great thing. Um, and last to leaders, Aaron already mentioned that. Uh, just look at your bulletin uh, for those that have meetings today and, of course, what he said after service tonight. So we'll be focusing our attention this week towards next week's Last the Leaders uh, convention. That'll be a great thing. So if you would, please uh, uh, bow your heads and pray with me. And then as um, Guy mentioned, those that will be participating in the egg count will come forward. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is such an honor and a privilege that we can come together as Christians to honor your son that lived here. And he died for us. Father, your son rose again. And Father, your son lives forever. Father, he's died for each one of us that we may live in eternity. Father, all of us need to know the, the truth. Father, each of us needs to tell the truth. And Father, each one of us needs to live for Jesus. May we continue to pray for those that are sick physically and, and spiritually. And may our encouragement and our hope and our love increase in leaps and bounds as we live day by day according to thy word. And dear God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 